Welcome. What's up, Will? Welcome What's to New York City. Up, Seamus. I'm back in the Big Apple. I know the Apple, man. We both had uh, a little bit of a journey into. I'm, I'm, I'm going yeah. from here straight to the airport, so I had to bring about 150 pounds of <laughs> luggage in in 150 percent humidity yeah. and 150 degrees Fahrenheit through the subway. Yeah, you never have to take the subway, do you? I take it. I take it when I'm here, just to, for the experience. The experience. It <laughs> it's quite the. Uh, you know, coming from Pittsburgh, there's no major public transportation, so this right. is uh, cool. Uh, I love it. Today's guest is my hero. I mean, Terry Real is just doing epic things for marriages and relationships and parents and like he's just I, I, I love this guy yeah he's a family therapist speaker and author and he's a longtime contributor group and um, one of the things I love about his approach is he really is about trying to change the mm-hmm. the, the dynamic uh, the classic dynamic of, of masculinity he's not about feminizing the male yeah um, he doesn't believe that to uh, to change the paradigm of the patriarchy means to become less masculine. I right. think that's really important. What I love about this conversation with Terry is I think it is required listening for any human being, whether you're a husband or a partner or a dad or a mom, anybody. Mm-hmm. I think you need to be sharing this episode because it was so many truth bombs for, for people. Yeah, and not just for guys, but also for women. Yeah, totally. It's for any side of the relationship. Cool. All right, well, let's jump into it. Terry, thanks so much for joining us on Goop Fellas. Yes, thank you. Oh, sure. It's great to be with you guys. It's it's so good to have you because, you, you know, you, we're, we're really grateful you've contributed to Goop a number of times and, and you've helped us on this conversation discussion about how we can start to re-examine what it means to be to be a man in, in, uh, in the 21st century and hopefully improve our lot in life and yeah you know there's a lot yeah. of work to be done terry i on a personal note i just want to say your words and methods like being married being a dad have changed my life so i just want to publicly give thanks to you oh thank you how, how has it changed it it just many ways i'm a better communicator a more empathic a more aware of the dynamics and less reactive so uh, I'm excited to get into all your methods and brilliance uh, today. Super. Yeah. Let's be brilliant together. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I maybe just start off like how, with your amazing career, how have you seen marriages and relationships change over your career? Well, it depends on the age of the people that you're speaking about. Uh, because if you're talking about people my age, baby boomers, to be honest, it hasn't changed much at all. If anything, it's degenerated. The change has been worse. You know, uh, in the baby boomer generation, people are now speaking about what they call a great divorce revolution. And some people are estimating divorce rates at up to 70%. And it's almost all instituted by women. Older women are sick of caretaking their men. The men have not changed. The women have. I'll be talking about that. And they're getting deep six. Younger men... Uh, are a a different story. I got to tell you guys, I don't know how old you both are, but I am a phenomenal fan of the millennials. I think millennial men are the most progressive generation of men this planet has ever seen. And I know you, I know they're narcissistic and they're this and they're that and commitment phobic and all. I'm not, I'm not idealizing them, but I am saying that millennial men, partly because of economics, expect not just two working people, but two careers. They expect to share decision-making. They expect to help out around the house. And um, 
they uh, they have a more egalitarian model of marriage. And one of the things we know from research, one of the few things we know about couples from research, is that egalitarian modern marriages work better than traditional hierarchical marriages. People are happier. People are less depressed. People uh, report uh, gobs more marital satisfaction. One of the things I say to my brother and my therapist is it's time for us to drop the mask of neutrality and throw our weight behind this new model of masculinity because it's better. It's healthier for everybody. And this is not a matter of opinion. This is a matter of hard science. We know that opening up our hearts and learning to be intimate is a good thing for us Guys, it's good for our health, it's good for our bodies, we live longer, it's good for our wives, it's good for our male partners if we're gay, it's good for our kids. So times are changing, man. Yeah. yeah. So I guess a big part of that is sort of learning how to get comfortable in the state of vulnerability, which is something we talk a lot about on Goofellas. You know, we're sort of, we're, we're trained and taught we teach our boys not to be vulnerable, not to be weak, not to be in touch with their feminine side because that is a sign of, of inevitable weakness. And I think that that creates a shield around the ability to actually be intimate and develop um, deep intimacy. Do you see as we kind of move forward and are, are creating a new paradigm for a modern man, if you will, do you see that changing? And how do we, as those of us that are that are parents, how do we um, encourage the growth in the next generation of boys to men to be comfortable with intimacy and vulnerability? Okay. Well, there are about five questions there. Let me see what I can do. Um, <laughs> I usually but, have a shotgun all, approach. Right about moving into vulnerability. I was just writing about this. I um, the essence of traditional masculinity is invulnerability. The more invulnerable you are, the more manly you are. The more vulnerable you are, the more girly you are, the more uh, of a wimp you are, and there are other words I'm not even going to say. Right. Um, that's that's the code. That's the rubric. And mm-hmm. what you've what you guys have figured out in your own lives and in talking to people is that we human beings connect through our vulnerabilities. That's how we connect with each other. You know, oh, my God, my kid's been giving me a hard time. Mm-hmm. Oh, your yeah. kid, listen, you should, you know, that's how we do it. That's how women, if, you, if men can listen to women, that's how women connect with each other all the time, through their vulnerabilities. And we men are taught that vulnerability is weak. It's girlish. It's not manly. Look at men's superheroes. You know, they're all hard bodies, not an inch of flesh on them like the Superman or Terminator. Mm-hmm. And, um, but flesh is what we have. We are flesh. We're not steel. You know, the injunction that to be a good man you have to be invulnerable is a freaking lie. And here's the other one. There are two great lies of traditional masculinity. The first is that a good man is invulnerable, and the second is that a good man is in charge. Mm-hmm. Dominion is the fatal flaw of patriarchal thinking. When God created Adam, at least in the King James Version, he gave Adam dominion over everything that walks and crawls on the earth. Really bad idea. What I teach men and women is to think relationally, not patriarchally. You're not above the system. You're a humble subcomponent part of the system, whether the system is your family or your marriage or your planet. And if we don't learn that we're not lording over nature, but we're in nature, we will die and take the planet with us. 
No, I think that's super important. We are a part of nature, and yeah. that's something that's very hard for us. I mean, we, you know, we try to exercise this control over nature in everything that we do. Mm-hmm. You said everything. something. You said something that was really fascinating. I mean, it resonated with actually a story I was listening to earlier today on my way here. The NRA and uh, this this ad that Bushmaster came out, one of the, the manufacturers, of the AR15. They came out with this ad recently that said, "Get your man card back," and it was this, you know, very militaristic. Uh, font yeah. and a guy holding a gun and how to be to, to to sort of be dominant and violent meant to actually be a man and I think that's if you look well, at well violence your- is the I I, I was uh, on a panel uh, a couple of months ago with an, an extraordinary man who broke off of the Mankind Project has been working in prisons he himself had been in Folsom prison for twenty eight years for killing somebody. And what he said really rocked me. He said, violence is the ultimate expression of masculinity. Mm-hmm. Because what happens in masculinity is if you're one down, you, in, in the traditional world of men, you're either one up or one down, dominator or dominated, winner or loser. There's no platform for same as. There's no platform for meeting or intimacy. And in the world of men, if you are dissed, if you are put in a one-down position, the way you right yourself and move into justice is by blowing the person away. Mm -hmm. Violence is essential to traditional masculinity. And the move from one-down to one-up, from feeling inadequate or shame-based to feeling grandiose, and, and now you're an avenging angel... That is traditional masculinity, particularly in America. Yeah. Something that you, you talk about is how, how women have raised the bar for men, rightfully so. But there's a lot of guys that are listening out there right now that see the dysfunction of their father's generation or grandfather's generation, and they want to do better. What does the new masculinity look like? Because I love that you still emphasize strength, but it's this, this new strength, this, this, this equal strength. Can you talk about that? Yeah, yeah, it really pisses me off when people say I'm trying to feminize men. I'm not mm-hmm. trying to feminize men any more than feminists are trying to masculinize women. I want whole human beings. I want big, sensitive, tender, strong-hearted, strong guys. And I want sexy, you know, beautiful, feminine, smart, competent, can-run-the-country girls. <laughs> and we can have it all. Yeah. What the traditional code for both men and women does is what one of my old teachers, Olga Silverstein, used to call having yourself, H-A-L-V-I-N-G. You take half of your human characteristics and you say, well, those are all feminine, and these are all masculine, and I'm going to go over here on this side of the page, and I'm going to exile everything on that side of the page. Not only is it crazy, but it's traumatic. I speak about the normal traumatization of boys in our culture. Taking half of your human qualities and disowning them is injurious to your health. Mm-hmm. But that's what we do to our boys, whether yeah. we want it or not. And we're still doing it, by the way. Girls have radically changed, uh, but they just did a massive survey of uh, elementary school kids. What is a good man? What is a good boy? Same shit that it's been for 50 years. Strong, independent, logical, blah, 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 blah. The thing of it is that these qualities of traditional masculinity will ensure that by today's standards, you're going to be seen as a lousy husband. Wow. There's, there's sort of a weird pack mentality that happens with guys, too. Because, I, I mean, I've noticed, 
growing up. I mean, I was bullied when I was in middle school. Uh-huh. Um, and, and, and I watched a lot of other kids get bullied yeah. and there's sort of this, if you're a victim of bullying or you see some, and you see someone else who's a victim of bullying, you want to just kind of disappear, but you don't want to come to their assistance because you know that you're going to be the next target. But I've also seen something happen is when, when, when boys or, or men or teenagers step up and they actually, you know, they, they look around, they recruit one or two other people around them to say, this is not right. This is fucked up. Let's step into this. A remarkable thing happens. There's a there's a, another fraternity in being in justice uh, and yes. standing up to it. And I think that that's something. Can you talk a little bit about what we can do um, when we do see bad behavior? This you know bullshit locker room talk. All of these things. How can we stand up and do it in a way that's effective? That is also not confrontational. Because I think part of the problem is is when we get into a confrontation, then we all start peacocking. Yeah. Well, I think you can do it. You know, one of the great things about guys is that we have a, a great tradition, which I really love, of giving each other shit. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. You wearing those pants again? Are you kidding me? <laughs> and uh, you call that a shot? And, and it's all understood. And it, for the most part, it's within, it's good, good natured. You can give each other shit about being a troglodyte. Mm-hmm. He and each other shit about being a Neanderthal. Oh man, you still talking like that? I can't believe mm-hmm. it. Well, you Love should go it. talk to your father. <laughs> That's a good technique. I like that. So yeah, you just put him down. Yeah. For people that are in a relationship or want to be in a relationship, how this is the question that some people, so many people want to know: How do you fight healthily, or is fighting? Can you fight healthily? Yeah, you can fight healthily, but one of the things I say is change it up. Uh, I, I have a saying, I want the mighty to melt and the weak to stand up. So when you're fighting, whatever your first go-to is, if it's anger, indignation, being pissed off, being offended, all those big puffed-up feelings, mm-hmm. don't lead with those. Skip over those. And reach for the vulnerability, as you were saying before. It's not, I'm pissed off. It's, you know, that kind of hurt my feelings. Mm-hmm. Lead with vulnerability and not anger. Lead with whatever you're not used to leading. Now, if you're used to leading with vulnerability, particularly the women listening, but even guys, if you're, if you're small and codependent and nervous and you don't want to piss your partner off, find your strength. Find your voice. So if you're used to fighting with little scared, you know, oh, my God, I hope he doesn't get too mad at me, uh, find your power. If you're used to leading with big pissed off, I can't believe you did that, find your, find your vulnerability and your hurt feelings. And whatever you're used to leading with, lead with the other in your fight. See if that doesn't completely where change. Does, where does anger fall into that? Because I feel like anger is kind of like a shield that you put up that immediately it makes it you know, impossible to have a conversation. You know, there's anger, there's hurt. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, if you're if you're used to leading with the hurt, then find your power. But if you're used to leading with the powerful, big, I'm pissed off energy, then go to your vulnerability. But whatever it is you're used to, go to the opposite. Yeah. 
I have a question. When I'm in a disagreement with my wife, let's just call it that, and she... Hey, we'll call it that. <laughs> what, would, what would she call it? I have a feeling we could call it a few other things. Yeah, <laughs> right. We'll call it that. A heated discussion. Uh, I want to solve it. I want to. I feel like if I talk enough, I'll solve the problem and change her mind or whatever topic it uh, is. Yeah, you're one of those. Yeah, I'm one of those guys. I know that I'm being a selfish idiot like in, in hindsight, but in the moment, I've, this is the remnant of, of something I'm trying to work on. So tell me why that's a horrible horrible idea. Uh, what can I do differently? Well, what you're doing is you're being caught. I have five losing strategies. I sh- we should tell everybody about my books. This is from the New Rules of Marriage. It's an operating manual for instruct- uh, for uh, relationships. It's really just a download of basic skills. It's a great book. So, uh, I talk about five losing strategies that will never get you what you want that will grab people. And I ask you to do a losing strategy profile. What, what are your favorites? Now, I already know, Will, from the little I've heard, one of your favorites is being right. You and your wife will solve this issue when you determine which one of you is right and which one of you is not. I I prefer Roger Fisher from the Harvard Negotiation Project getting to yes. If it's at all possible, uh, I'm into win-wins for everybody. And the way you get a win-win is you stop talking about your position, you start talking about what it means to you. Mm-hmm. And then maybe you and your partner can work out something that will work for both of you. You know, the example that, and I recommend the book, Getting to Yes, it sold millions. Mm-hmm. Um, the example he gives is uh, she wants the window open because it's stuffy in the living room. He doesn't want the window open because it'll be a draft on his neck and he'll catch cold. They're arguing about it. They talk about what they want instead of the window should be open, no, it should be closed. They figure out that she wants fresh air. He doesn't want a draft. They go into the kitchen and open the kitchen window and then move back in the living room. Guess what? No draft, fresh air. Win-win. Yeah. And uh, win-wins is what I'm after for people. Get off of the position. I want to do this. No, I don't. Yes, I do. No, I don't. And start talking about what it means to each of you. See if there's some play there. Well, that paradigm, that's a very, like, masculine, feminine, in paradigm that someone for someone to win someone has to lose and i think that we get stuck in that because that's how we teach that's how games work you know when we're when we're boys well, growing the thing, up it's fine for a game it's just not very good for life <laughs> yeah. but yeah. i mean that's where we learn a lot of our behavior though yeah. is in in this sort of group play and well in the world of men it's either win lose there's no place for both of you winning at the same time and you asked me earlier what's the alternative to this traditional model in in a nutshell the alternative to thinking patriarchally is thinking relationally which is is the same as thinking ecologically your relationship is your biosphere okay you can pollute it over there with your temper, but you're going to breathe it over here in your wife's withdrawal. You're in the system. You're not above the system, whether the system is the planet or your family or your marriage or your own body. We are not in control of these things. We're parts of it. And so once you realize that you're in a biosphere with your partner, things, for example, to take your example, if one of you wins and the other one loses, you both lose. Do you know why? No. Why? Because the loser will make the winner pay for it. Yeah, mm. it's true. Yeah. You and they are connected, 
And if you bully your way through to a short-term win, you're going to pay in terms of long-term resentment. Yeah. Something that you taught me through your words over the, over the years is when I do want to reactively talk and defend myself and be right is this acronym of WAIT. And ask, yes. ask, can you tell everybody about that acronym? I think a lot of people can benefit from that. <laughs> WAIT. I didn't come up with it. No one knows who did. It's attributed to 53 different people. But WAIT is, why am I talking? <laughs> Yeah. Am I talking to drill her into the ground and prove my point? Am I talking? See, this business about being right. Let me let me counsel you a little. This business <laughs> about being right is what I call applying the scientific method to your relationship. It's like, well, let's figure out whose opinion here is the valid one, and then we'll be able to work on it. Let's resolve our differences by eradicating them. Forget it. Here's the bitter pill, my friend. There is no place in personal relationships for objective reality. Mm-hmm. Objective reality is great for getting buses to run on time, but it has nothing. It doesn't matter. Look, he's driving very aggressively. He thinks he's aggressive and competent. She's nervous as hell and sees him as being reckless and irresponsible. They're at it. They're having what I call an objectivity battle. Is he reckless or is he competent? Is he reckless or is he competent? Is she oversensitive or is he overly aggressive? Back and forth like a ping pong ball. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. The relational answer to the question who's right and who's wrong is who cares. Yeah. What matters is how are the two of you going to work like a team and make this work for the two of you? Mm-hmm. So yeah. she says, after my counsel, not you're driving like a maniac, which is arguable. She says, when you drive like this, I get myself scared. As a favor to me, would you please slow down so I don't have to be miserable next to you? And he says, being a generous gentleman, sure. What I love that you just said is that you, when you do this, I make myself scared. She didn't say, you make me scared. You no, scare I me. ask people to outlaw that phrase from their vocabulary. I make myself scared, not you make me scared. Yeah, or even really it makes important. me scared. Yeah. Take full responsibility for it. That's good. We're talking about fighting and disagreements. I have two kids. Can you tell the listeners about this witness abuse and fighting in front of kids and what... I, I mean, that shook me when I heard you talk about this. Yeah, it should shake you. It's, it's, it's sobering stuff. Look, kids don't have boundaries. They're not supposed to have boundaries. They're supposed to be wide open systems. You develop boundaries later. And if you are screaming at your partner and your kid is in the next room and you think that they're not being affected by this, let me tell you, that goes into them exactly as if you were screaming at them. They do not make a differentiation. They don't have the boundaries to do that. So when you're screaming at your partner and your kid's in the house, you just put your kid in in the direct line of fire of your screaming and see how you feel about it then, Mm -hmm. because that's what's going on. And in fact, when I have couples, uh, and, and, you know, my practice is couples on the people fly in from all over to Boston. We spend two days together. And at the end of the two days, we decide you're either back on track or getting a divorce. This is the last <laughs> stop. It's true. And uh, everybody who's seen me has got two, three, five, so far the record's eight therapists who haven't done anything for them. Wow. And this is, this is either transformation or go home. And um, in, in these situations, if I have a, a, a couple that's screaming and yelling and, you know, uh, carrying on and their kids in the house, I give them 30 days to stop. 
And if you're not stopped in 30 days, one of you moves out mm. because you are damaging your children as we're sitting here. Yeah. You know, I, I'm not in a relationship and I would like to be, hopefully find a partner and, um, and I want to be a, a good partner, the best partner I can be. And one of the things that I, I've noticed in my own past relationships, which haven't worked out, that the sort of, the, the main seed of kind of, uh, I don't know, rot within the relationship or the main problem within the relationship has been this idea of resentment and how resentment Oh, uh, resentment, built. yeah. And, and it seems to me like, like what, once <laughs> yeah, it takes a foothold. There's an old saying, resentment yeah. is drinking poison and waiting for the other guy to die. <laughs> exactly. How do I mean? I, I mean, I know. I know historically with my ex-wife, who I unfortunately am, am very good friends with, and we've been able to oh, sort of hash things through through in, in the postmortem of our relationship. But one of the things that I really noticed is that there were things that I apparently was doing unknowingly over a long period of time that were really. She was harboring resentment. She was. She was feeling ignored she was feeling as though I wasn't wasn't really as engaged in our relationship and then she'd start to get very angry with me over things that I didn't understand I didn't know where it was coming from so my response well, was very defensive first and, of all let me support you because I have a, a, this is a hard saying for women and for a, a lot of more passive guys but but for those on the more passive side um, you cannot rightfully get angry about not getting what you never asked for. And one of the things I say to women is, girl, Cinderella is dead. Prince Charming is probably just come out of rehab. <laughs> and if you want it, you're going to have to roll up your sleeves and fight for it. Nobody's going to give it to you. That, that, old, that, that is the tradition of femininity. That's part of the traditional female role that we have to get over as well. Yeah. I mean, why is it as men we're to, we we don't we're just completely like it's, it's like we're almost in our own world unless it's presented to us in bold you know Times New Roman twenty font we don't actually see what's going on. <laughs> I saw a New Yorker cartoon with a couple sitting in front of a therapist and the woman saying, "I know you don't know why we're here. That's why we're here." <laughs> so, <laughs> A friend and colleague of mine, Jeffrey Kerr, talks about privileged obliviousness in men. You know, yeah. step, step over the pile of diapers and give your wife, hi, honey, I'm home. It's like this stinking crap all over the room. You think you might notice it? Yeah. Yeah, we men, are, uh, we, we were pretty self-referential. We weren't raised to be all that sensitive to others. We were raised... Most of us, uh, in ways that stamped the sensitivity out of us. Sensitivity was seen as bad. Not just was it not developed, it was seen as bad. Oh, what do you mean? Who cares? <laughs> you know, it's Alexander Haig. I'm in charge here. Yeah. I've got it. I'm the captain of the football team. Don't worry about it. Wow. And, um, it just does so much. It's so needless. Yeah. Okay. So our, the women in our lives need to need to be to stand up and speak for what they're. Yes, needs are. I want for women uh, and for mm -hmm. passive men uh, more um, assertion on the front end and less resentment on the back end. And mm -hmm. if you don't assert yourself on the front end, then don't be resentful on the back end. Yeah. So what? But how do we neutralize the resentment once it starts? Because I feel like it's. Oh, no, look, resentment. Resent. <laughs> I. I um, I have a six CD set from Sounds True. I don't get any money. I'm just saying it. Uh, called Fierce Intimacy. 
And I've been running around the country talking about fierce intimacy. Fierce intimacy is that you take each other on. You tell each other the truth. Now, we try and do that, and it doesn't work very well, so we back off. You have to learn how to do it. That's the missing piece. But the fact that we don't take each other on and we compromise or we Mm -hmm. tell ourselves we're compromising, but really what we're doing is being resentful. When we stop telling the truth to each other, the first casualty is passion. You get resentful, you get less generous, you get less sensual, you don't want to surrender, you don't want to give, and things dry up between the two of you. Speak up to each other, but you have to learn how to do it. I talk about speaking up with love. I have a whole... Uh, I'm, I'm just... I'm just throwing out resources. If you go to my website, there's uh, uh, an online course called Essential Skills, and I talk in length about how to stand up for yourself in a relationship and love that person and love the relationship in the same moment, in the same breath. Mm-hmm. That's an art. You see, under patriarchy, this is the most abstract thing I'm going to say the whole time. Under patriarchy, you can be powerful, that's masculine, Mm -hmm. or you can be connected, that's quote-unquote feminine, but you can't be both at the same time. It's power over, not power with. Mm -hmm. So if you're powerful, you're not connected. If you're connected, you've lost your voice. And the new news, the move out of patriarchy for both men and women is exemplified by things like relational thinking. If one of you wins, the other one loses, uh, you both lose. The other way of uh, thinking about a new way of, uh, of living mm-hmm. yeah. uh, is uh, that you move into this ecological way of being, that uh, you have humility, that you don't try and win, that you try and work it out, that you stop thinking about one of you dominating the other and start thinking about the two of you being a team. Yeah. And you've asked me about kids. Let me say something about kids, may I? Yeah, Yeah, please do. About breaking this legacy for our sons. Um, look, the greatest enforcers of traditional masculinity are other boys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the people that men perform masculinity for is other men. Yeah, right. You know, there's a great, uh, uh, there's a wonderful book about Vietnam called The Things They Carried. An oh, I, I love book. that book. It's such a great book. Incredible book. Yeah, and one of the many brilliant moments of writing is when, when he's talking about the humps, as they're mm-hmm. called, the infantry guys, um, climbing up a mountain into fire, getting out of the trench and, and the, walking up that hill in the face of bullets flying. And he said that the men would rather face death than embarrassment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah, it's beautiful. shame of not being seen as manly in the eyes of the other men. So um, what I want you to do is I want you to do a number of things with our with your sons. First of all, I want you to be a different kind of father. Mm-hmm. I don't want you to toughen them. I want you to make them literate. Yeah. Uh, I want you to give them the full range of human possibilities. I want them to be strong, and I want them to be vulnerable, and I want them to be tender, and I want them to be tough. All of it. Yeah. How can we teach our sons 
that to be vulnerable is to be strong? You know, the greatest way of teaching our sons how to be vulnerable is, guess what? Be vulnerable with them. Yeah. Talk about, as they get older, boys are hungry for their fathers as, as, as humans, not just as machines. One of the things I wrote, and I don't want to talk about it, my first book is, boys don't need their father's balls, they need their hearts. <laughs> Truth. So show your son your heart. Talk about your own uh, worries. When mm-hmm. Belinda and I, my wife, who's a family therapist, when the kids were little, we would come home, and we would talk about our cases. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, we saw these two people are killing each other, boys. You should hear what they say to each other. Oh, my. And we do it in, like, five-year-old terms. Mm-hmm. But we, we would share our day. Our, our little five-year-old had what we called uh, Alexander's invariant prescription. He listened to these elaborate, you know, kid-scaled cases, and he'd think and think and think, and then he'd say the same thing every time as if he'd never said it before. <laughs> and he'd look up after thinking really hard, and he'd point his finger at us and say, these people need to be nicer to each other. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's true, because we treat, we treat kindness as though it's a commodity of scarcity. that there, You know, you, you can only do that so much. We treat kindness as if it's feminine. Right, yeah. Yeah, so this this concept of, of fierce intimacy that you talk about, how long does it take for the average person? How do you know you've got it? I guess maybe it's a dumb question, but I mean, I want that from, with my wife. Well, I, I'll tell you, to be really honest, if you're serious about it, then put some effort into it. And buy the CDs and listen to them all and practice the skills and do the exercises and, you know, belly up to the bar and ante up a little bit. Put some skin in the game. Yeah. Uh, it, it, most men do not want to put much effort into relationships. Uh, we devalue it. We, we've learned to devalue it. I mean, yeah, okay, relationship skills workshop. Oh, okay, <laughs> that versus golf. Or, uh, you know, the playoffs on TV. Are you kidding me? No, I'm not kidding you. Get your ass in the chair and learn a few things about how to be intimate. It's good for you. Yeah. I've heard you say most hetero guys are pretty much happy with their relationships and yeah. women are. Can you tell why this is? Like, why, why, why are we having this issue? Well, you know, as I was saying, I deal with, like, marital death door couples, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, even there, I peel the woman off. I say, you go in the waiting room. Let me talk to Harry. I talk to Harry, and he goes something like this. I mean, this is somebody who flew in from God knows where, paying me an arm and a leg. I already have two divorce lawyers. They are, like, hanging by a thread, right? I, I, I get the woman away, and I say to the guy, well, you know, what's the deal? And he goes, you know... Things aren't really that bad around here, Terry. If you could just kind of get her, you know, chilled out. <laughs> These guys are deluded, man. Yeah. But the reality is most men are not unhappy in their marriages. They're unhappy that the women aren't happy with them. Yeah, women right. are unhappy in their marriages because women want more emotional intimacy than we have raised boys to deliver. Yeah. Women's roles have changed radically in the last century. Now the gauntlet is on the men's side. Yeah, it's time to catch up and raise up. It's funny because it really parallels 
sort of the 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 the, the male paradigm of of um, our physical health as well. You know, we often talk about we we talk a lot about healthier, obviously, um, and the first oftentimes the first sign or the first symptom of a heart attack for a guy is a heart attack. We're we're constantly rearranging the deck chairs in the Titanic and pretending everything's okay until suddenly it's catastrophic. And it seems yeah. like we, we have a tendency Learning to do that to in relationships. Learning to live relationally, learning to open your heart, learning to have, like, five, okay? Is that too much to ask? Five relationship skills that you practice, how to speak on your side of the street from the eye and not go over to your partner's side of the street, how to speak for yourself and be loving at the same time, how to really listen and put yourself aside, how to move into repair by being generous to an unhappy partner, and how to cherish each other. These are the five skills that I keep uh, honing in on in almost every format, my book, my CDs, my online course. How, do these five things well, and you'll have an, a good relationship. But you have to learn how to do them. Our culture doesn't teach us how to do them. And that school of relationship called your family growing up was probably uh, not nearly as uh, happy as the family that you want to grow. Yeah. So the what stands be you know I, one of the things I say is that each father is a, each man is a bridge spanning the generation that came before him and the legacy he passes on to his children. Mm-hmm. And what stands between, for example, my father's violence and depression, which is what I grew up with, and my children's. Uh, I have a twenty-nine-year-old, thirty-thirty-one-year-old. My children's radiant sense of uh, health and well-being, what stands between my father and those children is me and the work I've done. Yeah, that's great. Terry, thank you so much. This has been a really, really insightful conversation. I know that there's a lot that, a lot of homework. I got a lot of homework. You guys guys are great. (laughs) We got a lot of homework, but we really appreciate it. Carry the light, will you? Awesome. Thank you so so much. much. All right. Take care. Be well. Wow, guys, I could talk to this to Terry Real all freaking day long. Um, what did you love the most? James? Oh, he was great. I, I, he's he's such a such a uh, smart human. Um, there are so many things. I mean, I I love the idea of weight. The the acronym Why am I talking? Yeah. Because I think so often in um, what we think is conversation uh, or dialogue is really just two sets of independent monologues mm-hmm. and we're, we're just waiting for our waiting for our turn to say our piece not we're not actually listening yeah that was um that was really cool and then he he referenced a book that i loved i haven't read in years called the things we, they carried by uh, by tim o'brien and i think everyone should read it. it's a great book about um about uh uh the vietnam war um and he was talking about this idea of death over embarrassment, which is the archetype of the of the masculine, you know, the traditional masculine male, yeah. even death before dishonor, you hear this all the time, yeah. that to, we, we think that to be sensitive or to be vulnerable means to be weak. And I think that was, that's something that, I, you know, I've certainly been working on my whole life and I appreciate that he's talking yeah. about it publicly. And on that, this legacy that we're leaving our kids, our sons and our daughters is just so powerful that we're this conduit between the generations before us. Yeah, the kind bridge of, to generation bridge. to generation. That's so cool. Man, it's just so important yeah. concepts. And just this, this idea that our relationships, our family is a biosphere. And the health of the family 
benefits us and it's symbiotic in that way. I think it's such a powerful uh, message. Uh, and this concept that we think our kids aren't realizing it. If we're, if, we're, if we're arguing in another room, it's not going to be impacting our kids. We need to be really be mindful of that. As a dad, that hit me. And something he didn't say on the air that I've heard him talk before was that an exercise he gives parents is before the, the you're, you fight with your spouse or your partner, you go, uh, you take a pause, you go up into your room and you look at a picture of your kid and you say, in this moment, what I'm about to yell is more important than you. Yeah. To kind of shut that down. Exactly. That's like rocks a parent's heart. And I, to me, I'm going to start doing that. I kept sure. thinking about this cartoon that I saw. I just pulled it up so you can see it. Um, it's, it's, it made me think about it. I love it. It's, it's a cartoon of two hearts sitting on a couch. And on the floor, there's a baby heart. They're like kind of the, the little heart candy things. They're, you know, Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day, anthropomorphized into humans. And the father heart says, we will not mess you up. And the mother heart says, like our parents messed you up. And the kid heart says, a whole new kind of fucked up <laughs> because we we like we 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 don't really realize just how much we think we're not repeating the the pattern behavior of our parents and I love that idea of actually our role as parents is to be a bridge between those generations yeah and to be cognizant of it and I love what you just said about like I, whatever I'm about to yell is more important than my kids yeah awesome amen. Got a question you'd like us to answer? The Goop team is keeping a running list for us, so just hit them up at Goop on Instagram or Facebook. At the end of every episode, we'll be answering a question from one of you guys. If you have a question about us or about men and wellness or really anything else is on your mind, just let us know. As a functional medicine practitioner, it's been fun seeing the questions that have already come in on different food philosophies and ways to approach health and well-being. And I love to talk about food and cooking and, well, reality is anything. I just love to talk. So send your questions over to the Goop team on Instagram or Facebook. As Goop likes to say, nothing is off limits. All right, guys, it's time for another edition of Ask Me Anything. <laughs> All right. Uh, Steve writes, what is your favorite snack food? It's a relevant question yeah. right now. Yes. Yeah, so Seamus is about to jump on a plane. And you just, just got off a plane. I just got off a plane. My favorite snack food, if we're sticking just to that, I will... Typically, I like uh, like the single serving um, nut butters, like uh -huh. the almond butter nut butters. They're they're easy to pack in a bag on the go. Those are probably what I have the most. How about mm -hmm. you? When I got my shit together, I'll take <laughs> I have some of those and and um, uh, take along some celery and some carrots. Um, for a little snack. I, li I really like grass-fed beef jerky. The only concern that I have with that is when you're flying, uh, retention of sodium and, and inflammation. Mm -hmm. So I do, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a nice protein to have a little bit of, but um, when it comes to that, snacking is something I really only do when I'm traveling. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't snack at home. Yeah, I, you know what I often do when I'm traveling is not snack, mm -hmm. is is fasting, and then when I get to the destination, I'll eat eat the food. But yeah, I think this those are some ideas. Uh, I would say the nut butters they come in single servings and grass fed beef. Yeah, uh, when I was traveling last week with um with Frank Lipman, he was kind enough. Actually, it wasn't Frank; it was Janice, his wife, who did this. She boiled some really good eggs. Oh yes, um, and sent them along. And I this is uh, a plug for my good friend Ben Jacobson from Jacob. Jacobson Salt Company. I always have a little travel kit of sea salt. Yes. So I had the eggs. 
they were peeled and I brought a little sea salt and I mixed some spices in there as well so I can just kind of dip the egg in the spice and that's a really, really good snack. Awesome. One more idea for our friend that asked the question is egg salad. You could do an egg salad and we get these almond flour crackers, uh-huh. like uh, Simple Mills almond f- uh, flour crackers. Everyone in the plane will smell you <laughs> when you open up that Tupperware, <laughs> but it's it's a nice, easy snack. I, you know, I used to, and I have done this before, brought a can of anchovies on the plane, and um, and, I, and I was asked this question in an, in an interview once, and I said, well, yeah, I brought some avocado and some nori and some anchovies, and I rolled up my little hand roll, <laughs> and I got so much hate mail from people like, I can't believe you brought fucking anchovies on the airplane <laughs> but the reality was i was flying to italy and all the italians loved it and everyone wanted to bite so i was making yep. snacks for my whole aisle that's right leading the leading the path that's it for today thanks for hanging out with us will and i would love to know what you think about goop fellas if you have a chance please rate and review the podcast here and if you like what you're hearing hit subscribe and pass it along to a friend to see more head to goop.com slash goop and we hope you'll be here again next wednesday talk soon